know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. And um, in the world of graffiti, there's no bigger the name than Banksy. Those of you who are watching online right now are those are our two campuses and those who may be watching by television. You may or may not know the name Banksy. Well, Banksy um, is an artist. And um, even though his works have appeared all over the world, no one knows who Banksy really is. He slips in on location, usually under the cover of night. He creates elaborate art installations. And the moment it becomes known that a new Banksy has appeared, that he's done a new piece of work, crowds of fans with cameras will flock. They'll get there early in the morning just to get their picture made next to it. Well, in September 2006, this British graffiti artist wanted to illustrate how often we ignore big problems, problems that are global in nature, problems that everybody faces, like global poverty. So he painted this picture. Now, you'll know that the elephant is painted in the same bold pattern as the room's wallpaper. And his point was to make the elephant so big that you wouldn't miss it, and yet let it blend into the wallpaper so you would overlook it. So we're beginning a series today that, frankly, I'm, I'm, not, I'm excited, but I'm nervous a little bit, to be honest. I'm always a little nervous when I get it preach. You should never get over that. But I'm a little bit nervous because we are going to be talking about the elephant in the room. Now, according to the Urban Dictionary, and if you don't know what the Urban Dictionary is, that's what I always go to when my grandkids use a word I don't understand. An elephant in the room is a very large issue that everyone is acutely aware of, but nobody wants to talk about. Well, that's what we're going to do in the next four weeks. We're going to tackle four topics over the next four weeks that, frankly, we don't want to talk about. People outside the church don't want to talk about it, and people inside the church don't like to talk about it. Now, let me just kind of give you a disclaimer. The very first topic we're going to tackle today is one that the church is being increasingly warned not to get involved in. As a matter of fact, when I decided to go into the ministry, I had a pastor tell me one time, he said, now, James, there are two things don't ever talk about. Don't ever talk politics and religion. I said, okay, I don't to talk about anything else. Well, we're going to talk about politics. Now, again, there's an elephant in the room because I don't have to tell you how the last presidential election brought out a lot of hot and hard feelings. And there was all this discussion out there about how a Christian should vote, how a Christian shouldn't vote, who Christians ought to vote for, who Christians ought not to vote for. And let me just stop. You may even right now be feeling a little bit discomfort. Maybe this elephant has already stepped on your foot, okay? Because I know what we've got in this room. I know what we've got listening to me right now. I know what we've got on our other campuses. We've got Republicans, and we've got Democrats, and we've got Libertarians, and we've got Independents. And then the growing, the, the fastest growing party in America is Confusitarians, okay? They're just confused. They just don't even know what they believe. And I realize you're probably wondering right now, okay, so which side are you going to risk offending today, okay? Who are you going to make angry today? Who are you going to get upset today? Well, in the spirit of being an equal opportunity pastor, I want to tell you the following two stories to get this out of the way, okay? Now, if you are a Republican, this story is for you. There was a Republican and a Democrat, and they were walking down the street, and they come, on this, come upon this homeless person. And the Democrat says to the Republican, so how are you going to help him? 
Well, the Republican reaches into his pocket, pulls out a business card, gives it to him and says, come see me Monday, I'll give you a job and you can go out and buy yourself a hamburger. Well, the Democrats, pretty impressed. They keep walking down the street, they come to another homeless person. The Republican looks at the Democrat and says, how are you gonna help him? The Democrat reaches into the Republican's pocket, pulls out a $50 bill, gives it to the man and says, go buy yourself a steak. Now, you're a Democrat, you don't like that one, okay? So this is for you if you are a Democrat because I am a bipartisan pastor, all right? A woman in a hot air balloon was lost. She saw a man below and she said, excuse me, I promised a friend that I'd meet him, but I don't know where I am. Can you help me? Well, the man looked at her and he said, well, sure. He said, you're at 31 degrees, 14.57 minutes north latitude and 100 degrees, 49.9 minutes west longitude. She said, you must be a Democrat. He said, I am, but how did you know? She said, because everything you told me is technically correct, but the information is useless. I'm still lost and you've been no help. He looked at her and said, well, you must be a Republican. She said, yes, how did you know? He said, well, you've risen to where you are due to a lot of hot air. You made a promise you couldn't keep and you expect me to solve your problem. You're in exactly the same position you were in before we met, but now somehow it's my fault. Now, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat makes no difference to me, okay? It really doesn't. And I realized to even talk about politics and a Christian's relationship to politics, I understand it is fraught with danger. I realize it is a minefield. And why do I know that? Because in some ways it is a no-win situation. But here's the good news. Even politics gives us an opportunity to shine our flashlight. Even politics gives us an opportunity to show a, a world and particularly a nation this is how God's people, this is how God's children, this is how brothers and sisters in Christ handle politics. So here's the question. What is the relationship of God to government? What is the relationship of the spiritual to the political? Now here's the good news. I don't have to come up with an answer. Jesus addressed this very topic. He talked about it, so I'm just gonna let him do the talking. So if you brought a copy of God's Word or you want to look on your smartphone or your iPad or whatever it is you might have, I want you to turn to a gospel called Matthew. It is the first book in the New Testament. There's Old and New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the first four gospels. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 22 because here's what Jesus does. It's so unbelievable how he did this. In one statement, Jesus defines for us exactly how God and government are to be related how the spiritual relates to the political and how to keep both of them in their proper place. And I think you're gonna to find today that what Jesus tells us is something that every Republican, every Democrat, every Libertarian, every Independent should be able to agree on whether you have those political parties or a part of those parties or not. So we're gonna pick up the story in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of truth of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't, all, you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? 
Now, what is so interesting is to set up this whole conversation. Because you'll notice there are three parties involved. There is Jesus, and then there are the Pharisees, and then there are the Herodians. Now, here's what's really interesting. The Pharisees hated the Herodians, and the Herodians hated the Pharisees. Why did they hate each other? Because at that time, Israel was under the domination of the Roman Empire, and the, the, the Pharisees hated the Romans, but the Herodians dated the Romans. The Herodians loved the Romans. They were under the Romans. They were kind of sympathetic to the Romans, and the Pharisees absolutely hated the Roman Empire. You say, well, why did the Herodians like the, the, the Roman Empire? Because Herod, you remember King Herod, hence Herodian, Herod was a puppet of the Roman Empire. So you've got these two parties. You've got the Pharisees. You've got the Herodians. They hated each, each other as much as Republicans hate Democrats. But they had one thing in common. They hated Jesus more than they hated each other. They neither, neither party could absolutely stand Jesus in anything that he stood for. So they come to Jesus, and they ask Jesus the most inflammatory the most controversial question you could ask in the first century. And here's the question they were asking. Should God's people pay taxes and support an idolatrous pagan government and emperor who claims to be God? It's a great question. It's a hard question. And you'll notice they thought they had Jesus trapped because it looks like he's in a you know, no-win situation. He's darned if he do, you know, darned if he doesn't. If he says, well, yes, it's right to pay taxes, well, that would upset the religious Jews because they were faithful to God. And they, if he said you got to pay taxes, they turned their backs on him and they would see Jesus as a traitor to his own people. On the other hand, if he said, no, it's wrong, you should not pay taxes, then he would be seen not as a traitor, he would be seen as a terrorist. And his enemies would report him to the authorities. Now, again, I know exactly how Jesus feels right now because I realize I'm wading into a subject that's very divisive. It is very controversial. I, in fact, I will tell you right now, and I think a lot of you would agree, I have never seen as much political division and as much political controversy in my lifetime as I am seeing right now. But Jesus helps us to answer the question, of how we can come together on the political question and be truly politically correct. Now, there are four things that Jesus tells us. All of us owe to our government, regardless of our political preferences, regardless of our political philosophy. There are four things all of us owe to our government. There are four things that we all should be able to agree on and still be what I would call politically correct. Okay, ready? Here we go. Number one, Jesus said, we should financially pay for our government. We should financially pay for our government. Now remember the question, here it is. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now I don't know about you, I have met a lot of people. I mean a lot of people. I have never met a person who likes to pay taxes. I've never met one person that you say to them, hey, what is your favorite day of the year? April the 15th. Can't wait. Just love it. We set up a Christmas tree just to celebrate April the 15th. I've never met anybody that likes that day. As a matter of fact, one out of three Americans say, oh, listen to this, one out of three Americans say they like to pay taxes. Now, you tell me, tell you why I don't think that's true. I've never met one. I've never met anybody that says, I like to pay taxes. 
three out of five Americans say they hate paying taxes. Can I just be honest? I'm one of them. I do not like paying taxes. By the way, in all seriousness, they did a survey. What is the most hated day of the year? Somebody tell me. April the 15th. It is the most despised, hated day of the year. Matter of fact, 13 government agencies were raided with the American people. They, they took a survey and they said, when you think of this agency, do you think, is it favorable or do you have an unfavorable view? Which agency do you think was at the bottom of the list? Somebody want to tell me? The IRS, absolutely rock bottom. As a matter of fact, it was the only agency where 51% of the people that were asked said they had an unfavorable view. Now, when they were asked, why don't you like the IRS? Why is it such an unfavorable view? Is because they feel, this is what they said, we believe the government takes too much of our money. I read about a thief the other day that he jumped out of an alley and he stuck a pistol on a man's ribs and he said, give me your money. When the man was shocked by the attack, he said, you know who you're talking to? He said, no. He said, I am a United States congressman. He said, in that case, give me my money. Now, 52% of Americans say their taxes are too high. 60% say their taxes are so much, and so much is taxed, that the entire system ought to be changed. I don't know if many of you grew up, I grew up listening to the Beatles. And I don't know if you remember or not, but the Beatles wrote a song one time, and it, and it was a very famous song. If you don't remember how it goes, I just want to share this lyric with you. I love this lyric. If you drive a car, I'll tax the street. If you try to sit, I'll tax your seat. If you get too cold, I'll tax the heat. If you take a walk, I'll tax your feet. Tax man, I'm the tax man, I'm the tax man. Have you remember that song? Some of you do? I mean, it's a great song. And that's sometimes how we feel, but we still have to answer the question. So what about this deal about paying taxes? They asked Jesus a straight question. They deserve a straight answer, right? Look what Jesus does. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, let me tell you what happened. If you get to go to Israel with me, I'm actually going to go again next year. Hope you can go. But if you ever get to go to Israel with me, one of the things you'll get to see in a lot of short shops over there, and they're not cheap, but you can actually pick up one of these denarii. You can actually pick up one of these coins. Now, when you get one of these coins, there was an image on the coin of Caesar. And it symbolized the fact that it was the government that made that coin. It was the government that issued that coin. It was the government that developed a monetary system so that people could do business. So, in other words, technically speaking, what, what Jesus was saying was, let's get something straight. This is not even your coin. This is the government's coin. The government minted it. The government made it. The government issued it. It ultimately goes to pay for what the government does for you. So it represents all the things that government stands for. Now, let me just kind of tell you something that God's done in my own heart. One thing that would be good for us to remember before we complain about taxes is to remember what our taxes pay for. Pays for a lot of good things. Pays for clean water. It pays for sewage highways, national defense, the courts, the police, and the military. Which, by the way, this is why the Apostle Paul referred to what the government does this way. 
He said, for the one in authority, that is the government, is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants. I wish every senator and congressman and political leader understood that. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Paul said, we need to see government as God's servants. We need to see government as a tool that God uses in, in, in his hands to provide liberty and safety, to protect us from our enemies so that we can enjoy, enjoy life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Now, think about this. If the government is God's servant, and that's what Paul called it, and if we are under God's authority and the government is under God's 